You're listening to sermon audio from Redeemer Georgetown. For more information about Redeemer Georgetown, connect with us on social media or check us out at www.redeemergeorgetown.com. Listen to these words that Peter says. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13, it says, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Verse 13, we'll just go back and have a look at it and unpack this a little bit for you. It says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether the emperor is supreme or governors that are sent by him. Let's just slow down and understand that this is written in a time when Peter has already witnessed the execution of Jesus, of John the Baptist, of Stephen the first martyr. He's already seen probably the execution of John, the son of thunder, or pardon me, James, the son of thunder. He's seen this, and he and Peter both know, he, Peter and Paul both know, they're next. Three to five years after the writing of this letter, he knows, uh, or he doesn't know, but he is preaching to a group who will be experiencing the uh, turmoil of being persecuted by Nero. Okay, and so this is a man who understands what he is saying is difficult to hear. It is difficult to respond to. There's going to be tension and difficulty. And he actually says the words, be subject. In the Greek, and, and I rarely ever do this, but it's two words, hupotasso. It means to come under formation into formation under a military commander. That's what it means to be subject. Come into formation under a military commander. We're not insurrectionists. We don't get to raise up a sword and say, uh-uh, not me. I'm not doing that. In fact, Jesus said, pay taxes. And he not only paid his own taxes, he taught his disciples to do that. Render under Caesar the things that are Caesar's, right? And so we don't pick up the sword and become insurrectionists against our government. Well, what are we going to do then when it says, be subject to, for the Lord's sake, to every human institution? And then he goes top to bottom. He says, whether it's to the emperor as supreme, the big boss, the one that's in control at the top, or to the governors that are sent by God to punish those who do evil. So he's saying, even the lesser authorities, you become subject. You place yourself under. Now, I already feel what maybe you're feeling is, time out. Like, this is bad timing. Like, I've never had less confidence in the institutions in my life than what I feel right now because it looks like a boiling cauldron, right? Well, Peter says, first and foremost, be subject and it's for the Lord's sake that you're subject. It's out of honor for him that we subject ourselves. 
It's not because we're afraid. It's not because we don't have the smarts or maybe we've just got a false sense of patriotism going the other direction. He says, this is for the Lord's sake that you would subject yourselves to the emperor as supreme, to the governors who are sent to punish evil. So you'll notice that governing authorities are given by God to restrain evil in culture. God put them in place. Also to punish the evildoer and to do praise for those who are doing good. Now, the tension that you might feel or that I might feel surrounding that, particularly at this time, is because we forget the greatness and the power and the sovereignty of God. And when we get away from the bigness of God, I'll tell you this much, I get wound up. I get scared. I get anxious about that. What changes that for me is when I read the scriptures, particularly from Daniel. Listen to this, what in the book of Daniel chapter 2, what Daniel said in a time where he was in exile, holding on to the promise of God. Here's what he said in Daniel chapter 2, and let this wash over your soul in this particular national time of chaos. He said, blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. Now hear this. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. Verse 23 To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and might, and have now made known to me what we ask of you. There's so much good there. But hear this. Nobody sits on a throne or in an office at a seat apart from God. He is sovereign over the affairs of nations and individuals. Listen to Daniel chapter 4, what Nebuchadnezzar who, by the way, was a man of great bloodshed, a certified lunatic uh, who had seen a lot of bloodshed, who had seen a lot of warfare, once had a river flogged because it flooded its banks. Listen to what he says after a period of time where God was bringing him low in chapter 4. It says, chapter 4, verse 34 and 35, At the end of days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, My reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High. I praised and honored him who lives forever. For his, hear this, his dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom endures from one generation to another. All the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing. He does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? Now, this view of God sweeps beyond our current moment. And it gives me rest in the middle of a storm. It helps me to breathe a little more deeply and to even place myself in subjection to the governing authorities that God has put in place. Now, I'll be honest with you, there are times when I love, that's too strong, I like the president that we got, and there's other times when I'm exasperated and going, ah, this kind of freaks me out. 
I don't know where you fall this morning, but I know that if you are in Christ, you don't have a first loyalty and then a second loyalty. You've got a first loyalty, and that's it. And for God's sake, for Christ's sake, we subject ourselves to the governing authorities. I remember thinking one time as I was at a, my old house in Illinois, I'm uh, at the pool at Grand Park, and I'm sitting there, and I've got some sunflower seeds, and uh, I'm sitting next to a this uh, bush that's, you know, like a whole bunch of bushes, and I'm thinking as I'm chewing up the sunflower seeds and I'm flicking the sunflower seeds underneath the bush. I mean, it's not like a nice flower bed. I mean, it was just a flower bed. And the 18-year-old kid that comes over to me with his whistle and says, what are you doing? And I'm thinking, first, I'd prefer you not talk to me like that. (laughs) That was my first thought. You know, you got your whistle. You're the boss of the pool. You can tell me to get out of the pool. You can tell my kids to get out of the pool. Leave me alone with my sunflower seeds. I'm going to need you to leave me alone. And I said, pardon me? He goes, you can't be flicking those sunflower seeds underneath the bush. And I'm thinking a hundred things. I'm thinking, I pay your paycheck. I mean, you don't have a job if I don't. And then I'm thinking, they're biodegradable. Are you sure you care about this? And then I'm thinking, what do you want me to do? Gather them all up with my hand? And he said, can you please pick those up? And so out of conviction that God establishes authority, and I don't always agree with it, I don't always like it, I just sat over there and picked up the things and threw them in the trash. Now, here's my point. I am a Christian ambassador. I am a sinner saved by grace due to the wrath of God. My ambassadorship requires not that I do this to please God. Jesus has pleased God for me, but that I do this as an ambassador who lives in this fallen world, and I will subject myself to the governing authorities, whether it be to a president that I love or one that I don't necessarily like or agree with. I will submit myself to city government. I will submit myself to a president. I will submit myself to a lifeguard because of Jesus, because he is king, and because he is Lord. I will subject myself. It says that they are there to punish those who do evil, and to praise those who do good. Okay? Well, what am I going to do with this? When I find myself saying, hey, how am I supposed to respond to this as a believer? And I want to give you a couple of things that might help you respond to how you see how you should respond to governing authorities. First and foremost, it's clear and it's easy and it's obvious that we do subject ourselves. We place ourselves under authority. That's number one. Let's just start with that. Number two, and I think we have these for you. Number two is that we would learn to pray for our leaders. Where do we see that? Well, 1 Timothy chapter 2, it says, Paul says this, and And Paul knows exactly who he's writing to. He's writing to Timothy. He's living in Ephesus. This is a wicked and corrupt system. Rome at that time is completely immoral. Rome is uh, promoting the abuse of women, the, the abuse of people. It's a corrupt government that executed Jesus and let Barabbas go. What does he say? First of all, and this is 1 Timothy chapter 2, I urge you 
Uh, I urge that supplications and prayers and intercession and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceable, a peaceful and quiet life, a godly life, and dignified in every way. This is good. It is pleasing in the sight of our God and Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So not only do we subject ourselves to the governing authorities, we pray for them. We pray that God would do his work in them, that he would save them, that you should pray by name for President Joe Biden, for his wife, for his children. You should pray for them. If you have President Trump in the future, I hope that you will pray for him. If you have a different president, you are called to pray for them and pray for the leaders of our states, the leaders of our city. Pray for them. This is our call as ambassadors who live here in this foreign land, that God would shine his beautiful light on their souls and save them. That's our hope. That's our prayer. And not only that, that we would pray for them, but that we would live, number three, as light and salt in our place of influence. You're an ambassador distributed into your corner of Georgetown. You were called to live there as an ambassador, being light and salt to your neighbors, your coworkers, your classmates, all of these things that you've been given influence into, that you would pray that the Lord, because he has saved us as rebellious sinners, he's called us out of darkness into the light, that we would be so filled with that goodness of his message And not only his message, of his person. That you would live out a peculiar life of grace in front of this dying, dark world. The kingdom of Christ is not of this world. That's what Jesus told... uh, (laughs) uh, Oh, come on. Pontius Pilate. You know, sometimes that just happens, right? That's what he said. If if it were, my, my servants would be fighting in the streets. He says, ah, you are a king. The answer is, yes, he is. His kingdom is the indwelling presence inside of us. Wherever we go, the kingdom of Christ spreads with us into the city, into your pocket. Okay? You have a right and a role and a responsibility subjected to the authorities, knowing that all authority is given by God to live out this uh, peculiar life of grace in your sphere of influence. What about number four? Because you think I didn't see this tension coming. You think I didn't feel this in my own bones and that I didn't have to wrestle with this. Here's a little bit more than maybe you'd want to know. And and perhaps my wife's going to be going, oh, Robert, please don't do that. (laughs) She's the cautious one between us. I was raised by two Southern Democrats. I was. My mom and my dad were just pretty humble summer Southern Democrats that raised me to think like that. And with your parents, you typically agree with whatever it is they say until you come aware of your own. And so as I started to pay attention to politics, I found myself just agreeing with a limited government, with a strong national defense. I don't know where I got these ideas, but I found myself agreeing with that, wanting to align with that. 
It's just kind of who I was. I don't know how and when, but when I became a Christian, I found myself also agreeing very much with sanctity of life and traditional marriage. All of these things started to make a lot of sense as a brand new believer. The struggle that I have is that sometimes I'd look at the political system and say, I just don't know where I stand with this group, but I know I don't agree with this group, and so I would want to infuse too much of who I am as a person into a political position that could have more weight and more energy in my heart and mind than the sovereign hand of God. And so I would say there is a balance for us. And should our government ever tell us, you must sin, we say, no, we will not sin. Now, let me put it like this. You are allowed to get an abortion in this country, but the day that they say you are required to, that's where we say we can't and won't go. When Daniel's friends are told, when you hear the sound of the trumpet blowing, you will bow down and you will worship, they say, no, we're not doing that. When Peter and John are told that you can't speak of Jesus anymore, they say, is it better for us to listen to God or listen to you? You be the judge. We will keep speaking of Jesus. And so there are times when we say, but you're asking me to sin, and I say, no, I won't do that. Now, let me tell you this, though. I don't want to embarrass my friend Mike, but I'm going to embarrass him for just a minute. Mike's a, Mike's a state trooper. If he pulls me over in my Tesla, if he can catch me, if he does, I'm not going to say to Mike, ah, hang on a second, before I allow you to write me a ticket, how's your marriage, man? You good? Like, he doesn't owe me anything. How would that go if we had that discussion? Officer Mike, I'd love for us to continue this conversation, but before we do, I just got to know something, man. How are you handling your finances? You good? How are you handling? You know, what's your response going to be to me in that moment? It's probably not going to be something I'm going to particularly like because I have no right to ask that question. He is an authority, right? I don't get to qualify that authority by my own standards. I'm going to submit to that authority. Now, let me tell you another story of how this came to light for me. Where are the places where I could say, hold on? So when I was in high school, I had a friend whose dad was an industrial psychologist. I liked the sound of that. They had a big house. I was like, I like that too. So what's an industrial psychologist do? So well, he goes in and he sets up systems, you know, so that things operate better. Or he's the same guy that's never going to show you a clock in a casino because he don't want you to know what time it is. You're not even going to know what time of day it is because an industrial psychologist made it so it always looks like the same time no matter what. You never know, right? And I was like, oh. So they set up Ikea so that when you go in, you're like a rat in the maze. You can't get out until you've seen everything. That's an industrial psychologist. And I said, I think I want to do that. So I went into pre-unemployment, that's called undergrad in psychology, and uh, I studied for psychology, and I said, I think I'm going to have to get a PhD to go into this field, and so I went and got a job at a residential treatment center. It's a psychiatric facility, and I would go there, and I had to work four eight-hour shifts a week to pay for my undergrad and for my life, Um, and so that's what I did. Eight, 32 hours a week, I would drive from Denton down to Bedford, about a 40-minute drive, and I would work at this facility with teenage kids. And I remember 
feeling like what I'm learning in school, in my classes in psychology, I'm just going to take that and I'm going to apply it at this treatment center. I'm going to have notes prepared for my thesis. That's kind of the way I was just thinking at the time. And I kept trying to take the stuff I'd learned. Now, remember, I'm an on-fire, fired-up Christian who's learning more Bible every day at that point. And I keep trying to take the psychology that I'm learning in class and apply it to the kids as I go to work. And I kept feeling like, man, this stuff is flat. It's so flat. I mean, there's some good there, but not much. And I just, man, I just start sharing Jesus with everybody. A friend of mine who worked with me at the time, his name is Vodi Bakum. He and I just started sharing the gospel with everybody. And we bought a Bible for every kid who got saved. And I promise you, we bought over 200 Bibles. In the four years that I worked there, we, we bought Bibles upon Bibles. Well, I shared the gospel with a couple of kids, and then they went on weekend pass with their parents on weekend. And these two born-again kids... One was Jewish, one was Mormon. And they went home and they told their parents how wrong they'd been about Jesus. And they shared the gospel with their parents, their Mormon and Jewish parents. You know what happened Monday, Monday morning? The administrator got chewed like a bone. And you know what happened to me on Monday afternoon when I showed up for work? I too got chewed like a bone. Robert, we love you. You're a great worker. You're one of our best workers, but you have got to shut up about Jesus and God and whatever else you've been saying. You've got to stop doing this. And I remember going, oh, God, what are you doing to me? I need this job. I can't lose this job. This is how I pay for life. This is how I pay for everything. I can't lose this job. And I remember kind of going, come on. I was mad at God. Well, I wasn't mad at God. I don't think I've ever really been mad at him. I was confused. I was turned around, and I, and I just was like, oh, gosh. And so for about two weeks, I just, I just shut it. I'm not, saying, I'm not losing this job. Well, one night I'm working, and they call from the acute care facility that's next door, and they say, Robert, we need you to come over. We're having a, we're having a real problem. So I came over, and it was a scary moment. I, I, it's another story for another time, but it was a really unique moment. But anyway... When it all calmed down, I was sitting with the two patients that were there that were just, had had such a hard night, and I just felt God saying to me, tell them about my son. Share the truth, the good news of Jesus with them. So I'm like, dang it, dang it, dang it, dang it, dang it. All right, I'm going to tell you guys something, but you can't say anything, okay? And so I shared the good news of Jesus Christ, and I'm telling you, these two women got saved. You could see it when they looked up. Their eyes were big, full of hope, and, and they're like, wow. And they became the boldest evangelists I've ever met in my life. And I'd been saying, hey, you, you say anything, I'm losing my job. And so, man, they just start sharing the gospel everywhere. Same thing happens. Administrator says, I thought we told you not to say anything. I was like, I know. But the truth is, and this is back when you wore Christian T-shirts. I, they said, no more Christian T-shirts. I'm like, I took off the T-shirts. Come on. I mean, this is a regular shirt, you know. Um, and, and they basically, they wrote me up again, and I thought, well, I better start looking for jobs, waiting tables or something, because I'm not being able to keep this job. And it was a great job. Well, the very next day, like two days later, I had a guy that pulled up, Mr. Clare, Dr. Claret, head of the, he's the head psychiatrist of the facility, 
I'd worked an eight-hour shift from midnight to 8 a.m. just to pick an extra shift. And he's got a big Cadillac, and he's underneath. He's looking down underneath it, and his wife's saying, yeah, you ran it over. You ran it over for sure. And I said, what, what's going on? She, I, I ran over this shovel. I don't know what's going on. I look underneath there, and I find a shovel that's been lodged up underneath the drive shaft, making a terrible racket, right? And I just pulled and pulled and pulled and pulled it loose and stood it up. And his wife goes, give him some money. Give him some money. He tries to hand me $200. I'm like, it's, it's no big deal. I, no problem. I don't need your money. He goes, you're Robert, right? I said, yeah. He goes, you're a Christian that keeps telling the kids about Jesus and that kind of stuff. I'm like, yeah, here it goes. I'm about to get fired on the spot. He goes, you're the kind of young man we want working in this facility. I had no idea in that moment that for the next two years, at every single chance this guy got, and by the way, he's the big boss, he said, this is exactly what we want in the young people working with our kids. We want someone like Robert Livingston. They're like, yeah, but he keeps talking about God. And they're like, well, I don't care what else he does. He pulled a shovel out from underneath my car. And for him, <laughs> this was evidence that this is a good person. Now, why do I tell you that story? I could have lost my job because I resisted the authorities that told me to never speak in his name anymore. And if you're going to take a stand and say, I can't join in that sin, you then get to civil disobedience where you bow your knees in front of Jesus alone and you refuse to sin. And that's different from picking up a sword or picking up a rock and saying, I will form an army and fight you. We don't do that. We resist we bow our knees in front of Jesus, and if it costs us our job, if it costs us our safety, then that's in the hands of God, and we're in good company. We're in good company. We're in the company of our Lord himself, who was executed under an unjust, evil regime. Nehemiah knew what was that, what that was like. Daniel knew what that was like. Esther knew what that was like. They served God faithfully as exiles in hope, and that's what we're called to do as well. And it may cost us our life. And if it did, praise God that we got to lose our life for the cause of Jesus. Rather than saying, I'm not even going to be the slightest bit out of my preferences. We don't do that. Keep watching what he says. This is interesting. It's so good. He says, for this is the will of God that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Now, that's exactly what was happening as I worked at that treatment center, that God would have me to go about, in my sphere of influence, doing good, honoring God, sacrificing for people, serving people, honoring God, even when it was no fun at all. He says, by doing good, this is the will of God, that you would be a silence maker for those who would just like to absolutely wreck the Christian faith by pointing at your behavior. No. He says to the person who's in the room now saying, okay, but that sounds like slavery. I mean, you're telling me to submit myself to governing authorities that might be wicked and evil. I'm saying Peter's exactly saying that, trusting your soul into the hands of the living God, trusting that he sees and understands and that he's sovereign over all of these things and that he can see and use even that scenario for the glory of Christ. 
and it's not slavery, what does he say? It's slavery to Christ, which is so good, but it's not slavery because what does he say? Live as free people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Now, see the difference? One person says, well, gosh, you're saying that I just have to just be a doormat, that I get trampled on, not for the sake of Christ, but just to be trampled on. He says, no, you are free. Live as a free person. I was looking all week for the way to explain this, and I hope this is helpful. Maybe it's not, but if you're an ambassador from a foreign country, your highest loyalty is to the country you came from. Your highest authority is the country you came from, but you live there. They can't even write you a parking ticket if you have diplomatic immunity, right? But you live there. You're expected to obey the laws and the rules of that country. But listen, your true country is over here. Live as someone who's truly a a free person of heaven, a citizen of heaven. But you are down here, and you're expected to see and understand the context in which you live and subject yourself for the sake of your king who lives in this country. For the sake of him, you subject yourself. But you're free. Hear this, because some of you don't know this. You're free. You are 100% free. There is no rule and law that's going to slam down on you that says you have to do this, you have to do that. Listen, you are free because Christ has paid it all. It is finished for you. All of the righteousness of Christ is yours. Don't now use that as your shield and cover to go out and live as a reckless, immoral person. You've misunderstood the gospel if that's the blank check idea that you're getting, that we're antinomian, that we have no law now. No, we understand the law better than anyone else because we're free, because we've been free in Christ. We now have the, pre- the privilege and the honor of living in this country as free people. We can subject ourselves without fear, knowing that God is sovereign over all. Now, some in Peter's generation, and I, I think you just have to know the context of the first readers, where that they were saying, oh... So this whole Gnosticism thing that is going on, that's sweeping across the, uh, uh, all of the nations ruled by Rome at this time, this idea that you can just do whatever you want physically, because physical is bad and spiritual is good, and that by engaging in these gross acts of immorality, you can gain special insight, special spiritual insight. Peter says, no. Don't use your freedom in Christ to go about living a reckless, abandoned life of immorality. Live as a servant of God, and a servant of God might find himself subjecting, uh, being subjected to evil authorities that are godless and wicked. Trust God with your heart. Trust God with your life and keep moving forward trusting him. He says, not only that, but verse 17 Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Now, if you're paying attention to the words there, you'll see that it's honor everyone, honor the emperor, and in between, love the brothers and fear God. So I want you to hear this, that verse 17, honor everyone and honor the emperor are important to be coupled like that. You could see where honor the emperor. I'm supposed to bow, genuflect, whatever it is to the emperor. We don't have emperors. We've got different types of leaders. Honor everyone. 
Everybody you meet is made in the image of God. They have dignity, value, and worth because they're made in the image of God. It's, it's very tempting to find out like what group they belong to. If you can't tell in first and second glance what group they belong to, you, you could be tempted to say, well, I'll honor those who I think are kind of on the same team with me. He says, no, 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 no. You honor every single person you meet because they're made in the image of God. They need grace and mercy and forgiveness just like we do honor them. No matter what their outward appearance, we honor them because they're made in the image of God. doesn't matter what group they belong to. Jesus always honored everyone, everyone, even the people that were smarting at the end of an interaction because he turned over their tables, scattered them. He was actually doing the best thing in the world for them because he's pointing them to the holiness of God. Jesus always honored everyone. How about this? Love the brotherhood. This is the predominant thing that happens between those who have been saved by grace is that we love each other, that we are siblings, that we participate in each other's lives, that we lift the burden that each other is feeling, that we offer grace and forgiveness to each other, that it couldn't be if I love the Collins family or anyone else in my group that they're struggling and I'm going, well, I hope that works out for them. No, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come alongside, and I'm going to get underneath the weight and lift. I'm going to lift with them because I love them. Well, this is why we so often point you back to gospel community is because you're going to be like, well, what about me? I'm like, well, what group are you in? What, what gospel community are you in? Because I, I want you to get that. We can't all do it all together as we get larger. But if you get in a gospel community, you're going to feel the love of your siblings all around you participating in your life, sacrificing for your sake caring for you, speaking truth to you. This is what love feels like. Love the brothers. Love the sisters, right? That should be the thing that marks us. Fear God. Well, wait, wait, hold on. Hold on. Fear God? <laughs> Fear Him? Yes. You know, our God is big. He's complex. He's strong and he's wise. Uh, one of my professors at Dallas used to say, God doesn't try. <laughs> he doesn't try. If he's going to do something, he's going to do it. But he doesn't try. Our God is in the heavens and does whatever he pleases. Psalm 115, verse 3, right? Fear God in the sense that he is like the Grand Canyon in front of you. <laughs> he's just bigger than you're thinking. And next to him, you feel small in the best possible way. You feel weak. You can't outrun him. You can't fight with him. You can't outthink him. You really can't resist him either. He's bigger than us. And he's good. And his goodness can be terrifying. I don't know if you've connected this yet. I, I asked God one time, I said, are you kind of like a really determined physical therapist <laughs> meaning I've had a knee surgery and you know what it takes to get the knee back to 110%, so you're going to force me into these things I don't want to do because you know that it's good for me? Do you ever have that feeling that God is going to do what is good for you whether you like it or not? Well, God is gentle and God is good, but God is holy. 
And he is for us awesome in the best possible way. Maybe even better than awesome. God is someone to be revered and someone to be in awe of. So fear God. Honor the emperor. This needs to be said now more than ever, Christian friends, Christian beloved. This is a season where that's hard for a lot of people. Uh, Whatever side of the aisle you find yourself standing on, I'd encourage you, just know that that's a struggle and a turmoil that you're going to feel in your soul, and that that's partly because you belong to heaven. You don't belong in this place. This isn't home yet. It's going to be radically uh, reformed, renovated, and then it'll be home. You'll be renovated, but you're not there yet. And so now you feel this tension. Put this to bed in your heart and mind. Your first loyalty is Jesus. And because of that, you can subject yourself to the governing authorities. And you can honor the emperor. You can speak. We don't have an emperor. You know what I'm saying. I'm saying honor whoever becomes our president, whoever is our president. And that does not mean that anybody's ever telling you you have to engage in sin. Because you don't. But friends, the moment we start picking up our swords... The moment we figuratively pick up our swords, we've gone beyond Scripture and we've began forming an ideology that is just wrong. Can we trust our Lord? Can we trust that our prayers make any difference? Of course we can, and we should. And there are things even now that I can tell you as a dad of teenagers who I have kids in the public school system, there are times I'm like, eh, I don't know. When do I say, hang on a second, whoa, well, the Lord will show me how and when to engage, but right now, you get in my car, and I'm driving you somewhere, I'm praying for you. Whether it makes my kids squirm and go, Dad, or where they go, okay, yeah, this is what happens, you get in Pastor Robert's car, he's praying for you, because that's my sphere. You got in my car, it's on you if you get prayed for, right? It's going to happen. I want to bring the light of Jesus into this now that I'm living in. I want you to do that. And if things get much worse, which they may, God's still going to be on his throne. And hear this, the beautiful words of our friend Mark Bergen, when his church closed because things just went so bad, he said to me, Robert, even in death, Jesus is victorious. Gosh. So don't fear what comes next. Fear God. Trust God. Walk forward in that tension of knowing that we struggle with this. We're not the first ones. We won't be the last ones. Our God is sovereign. He is our king, and he tells us what to do. Let's pray.